There's not going to be some magical technology that arrives and saves us all. The solution is going to be in 100,000 little tiny things in each of us doing our bit. And yes, of course, we need massive change from governments and from big business. But while we're waiting for that to happen, I don't think we should sit on our hands. Katie Trigetton, you're a speaker, podcaster, and author focusing on craft and design and sustainability and author of the new book, Broken, Mending and Repair in a Throwaway World. Katie, thanks for joining us on the Fight to Repair podcast. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to jump into this conversation to get your approach. We have people that are technologists, people that are security experts. We have academics that come on. And I'm curious what repair means to you. I think that you've taken craft as a major concept that you've worked on in your career. So I'm curious if you could explain what that really means for our audience and how it intersects with repair. Yeah, so I was a craft and design journalist before I started writing about environmentalism, sustainability, circularity. So I've always come at it through that lens. And I think when you think about repair through the lens of craft, it's it's very simple, right? It's things like sewing on a mit- missing button or the fact that my stepdad always has something that will do in the garage <laughs> and whatever it is that's broken can be mended by ordinary people using freely available materials and, and not a huge amount of skill. And so I think it's quite a, I think it's quite an interesting way into the subject of mending and repair because as those skills have been lost and as things have got phenomenally more complicated and more locked down and more closed it can be harder sometimes to understand how you might repair something like a mobile phone but something like a shirt with a missing button is a much easier way in for people sometimes yeah and so your latest book broken is diving even deeper into that so could you talk a little bit about what the motivation for writing the book was and what you lay out in the book Yeah, so my previous book was called Wasted, and I'm essentially working my way through the circular economy. So the first principle of the circular economy, as laid out by the Alan MacArthur Foundation, is to design out waste and pollution. So my first book was all about waste and how we can reuse waste, use it as a raw material. And then the second principle is to keep materials and objects in use or to circulate products and materials, obviously looking at at repair and how we can keep things or parts of things in use so that we're not consuming as much seemed like the logical next step. The third pillar of the circular economy is to regenerate natural systems. And we dipped into that a little bit in the last chapter of the book, looking at the ways in which regeneration could be seen as a form of repair. And you're actually a podcaster as well. And your podcast is called Circular, if I'm correct. Can you talk a little bit about what circularity really means? I mean, I see companies, journalists all talking about, quote unquote, circular economy, and it tends to, the more I hear it, mean less and less to me. I think the overuse of words and in some case, the sort of weaponizing of words is something we fight against a lot in environmentalism. The most obvious example is the term woke, which not so long ago just meant being awake to social injustice (laughs) and all of a sudden is an insult. The craziest example I heard recently was overhearing somebody describing the problems we're having in the National Health Service in Britain at the moment being down to, and I quote, woke job titles. I've got no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've got this problem. And again, net zero, which simply means a kind of net zero amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. So reducing what we're putting in as much as we can and 
offsetting any that we physically can't reduce again is is being weaponized so there's this sense that it's a government agenda and it's the next lockdown and I think we've got to be really careful about this because I, the same thing is starting to happen to terms like circularity or at best it's just being slapped on everything much like eco or green it becomes meaningless if it doesn't go so far as to equate a, a negative connotation so I always go back to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and the difference between a linear economy and a circular economy. So a linear economy is this idea of take, make, waste. We take things out of the earth. We make stuff out of them, generating carbon in the process. And then at the end of their lives, they get thrown away. And at its very simplest, a circular economy is about taking that straight line and joining either end. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But as a starting point, that's what we're talking about. And then, as I said, it's about designing out waste and pollution so we can make things without the sort of externalities of things like pollution and carbon into the atmosphere is about keeping materials and objects in use so it's saying let's have objects we can repair things that can be mended things that can be kept in use and then when they physically can't be anymore that those materials can be kept in use crucially it's not about recycling recycling tends to be often actually down cycling so things become less and less useful and valuable each time they're recycled it's more about upcycling so can we keep these things in use at their highest value and then again the last point is about regenerating natural systems and I think a lot of the environmentalism movement to date has been about doing less harm and I think we now have to actively move towards doing good so is the planet better off are people better off because our business or our product existed rather than just can we reduce or mitigate some of the harm because less bad is still pretty bad. <laughs> we need to be moving towards better. Yeah. And so I guess with that, moving away from a harm reduction approach, you've spent a lot of time thinking about circularity. What do you think the limitations are? I think a lot of what we're looking for is ways that we can carry on with business as usual, life as usual, and just offset it somehow. So I can still fly all over the world as long as I offset my air miles. And I think fundamentally, we need to bring about some significant changes in the way we live our lives and the way we do business. It's not enough just to do less harm, just to mitigate those changes. I think the where the kind of misconception comes about is everybody imagines those changes have to be really bad. Right, We never get to go on holiday again. We never get to leave our village because we're not allowed to drive. We've all got to sit in three jumpers because we're not allowed to put the heating on. What people forget is actually uh, a world in which we have a circular economy gets to be beautiful. It gets to be filled with trees, with clean air so that people can cycle with less traffic on the roads. We get to have these beautiful objects. And a lot of what the book is about is the fact that when we mend something it becomes more valuable. We're imbuing it with stories and with sentiment and with connection. And I'm all about my sort of strap line, for want of a better word, is that defiant hope sparks meaningful change. I think the important thing about hope is that it is a precursor for change. And so my work is all about painting a picture of a better future, that if we do all these things, if we become more sustainable, if we bring about a circular economy and net zero, actually the world we're creating is better than the one we have now. It's not about making sacrifices. It's about making changes. And those changes will result in a better world for us and for the people who come after us. And I think that's the sort of biggest misconception in environmentalism and in the way we're currently looking at the circular economy. 
Yeah, I recently finished Kate Soper's Post-Growth Living, and that's a book where she posits the term a kind of like alternative hedonism. Mm. The idea that we would actually, by consuming less, have a lot more pleasure and joy in our lives because, you know, at least in the U.S., people are working more hours than ever, particularly like working class and working poor people are working more hours than ever. And a lot of that is driven by our, I would say, incorrect or false need to be purchasing things that we don't actually need and don't actually give us long, meaningful joy in our lives. And so I think downshifting is another term that people have used that I've seen. I know there's some criticism about that, but I think just generally the idea of giving things up, I think strikes people the wrong way. Mm. And I think care and intimate knowledge of the material objects in our lives is something like you mentioned, older generations know how to fix their stuff. And as someone that's pretty young, it's quite the opposite. So these are all things that I think directly connect to the stuff that you're working on and what you wrote, which is we're not going to get anywhere by continuing this cycle of consumption. And that's actually probably better for us spiritually and ecologically, obviously. Yeah. And there's actually some research and I, I forget the name of the book off the top of my head, but I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show no notes. There's research that shows that when we, we buy something, it doesn't activate the reward centers in our brain in the same way as if we make something because there's not enough effort. Mm. So that kind of instant bite on Amazon, it arrives the next day, you get a tiny dopamine hit, but it doesn't last. Whereas when you make something or mend something, because you've put that effort in, the reward is greater. And I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of the things we are doing, we're seeking connection, we're seeking fulfillment, we're seeking joy, and we're looking in all of the wrong places. And I think there's also this movement of deep travel. So rather than traveling a long way quickly, superficially, traveling shorter distances, but looking much deeper and really connecting with a place and understanding a place and sort of eating local food and talking to local people and moving around slowly and it's really interesting there's some recent research that's come out of the rspcb that says that you know, there's a ton of research that says that spending time in nature is good for our mental health right and i always think of that meme that went around tiktok a little while ago which was going for a stupid walk in stupid nature for my stupid mental health and somebody sort of stomping through the countryside and that does do some good but what this recent research has shown is actually it's the strength of your connection with nature that has the biggest correlation with mental health. So if you're just stomping through with your headphones, you're getting outside, you're getting sunlight in your eyes, you're getting exercise, that's all good. But if you're stopping to look at the way the sunlight filters through the leaves or pick some blackberries or kind of hang out with some sheep, I don't know, just really <laughs> connecting with nature, that is really what has the benefit for your mental health. And I think we live in this super fast, super linear world where we're, we're looking for the dopamine hit, for the reward centers in our brain to be activated. And when they're not, we do the same thing again because we haven't had that kind of reward. Whereas actually when you, when you get deeper, when you really connect with nature, when you connect with the things you own by mending them, by changing their function, changing their story, extending their longevity, you build a connection with those objects that isn't there in the kind of disposable world that we've been led to believe would bring us happiness. It brings us convenience for sure, but that's not the same thing. Thanks for being a Fight to Repair listener. Uh, if you'd like to hear the full interview with Katie, you can consider becoming a paid subscriber or you can participate in our referral program 